right, it's Dr. K. And here. Valerie J. And Jasmine. And welcome to Black Women Voices. On this episode of Black Women Voices, we are discussing non-traditional pathways in higher education. Today's guest is Ashley Oliver Esquire. Ashley is an attorney, educator, and activist currently residing in Lexington, Kentucky. She received her Bachelor of Arts from Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, her Juris Doctorate from the University of St. Thomas School of Law in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and was then sworn in as an attorney in the state of Minnesota in October 2013. After law school, Ashley pursued working in higher education compliance, initially working in NCAA athletic compliance, then on to student conduct and Title IX investigation then moving to ADA accommodations and student accessibility. Since September 2018, Ashley serves as the inaugural director of diversity and inclusion at Century College in Danville, Kentucky. Currently, she is a member of the Lexington Urban League Young Professionals, the Kentucky Association for Professional African American Women, the Kentucky Association for Blacks in Higher Education, and Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Welcome everyone to episode 13, Black Women in Non-Traditional Pathways. We have a special guest, um, it's Ashley Oliver. Um, So I guess the first question that we have um, is just what difficulties have you encountered, if any, as it relates to your non-traditional path? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for me, one of the big challenges getting into higher education or student efforts as an attorney was really trying to figure out to pinpoint what this field looks like. I think when I was in college and I was um, looking back, um, I ran to an old colleague who was a director of, uh, of the student center at about when I went to undergrad. Um, I had no idea there was a whole field of people who um, were who were intentional about this work and being grounded in it um, and how how much they resonated in my life. I think really trying to get a better understanding of what higher education was, was was challenging at first. I think for me also initially, student affairs, a lot of the language and lingo is not what I was learning, well, not what I was focused on in law school, obviously, uh, looking at like chickering theory, people said all the time, a lot of student development theories. That went over my head. I had to go go to my office and Google and study and really try to be a, a quick study about things. Um, so a lot of people learned through their masters or EDD and PhD programs to make sure that I was in the know and making sure that I was on trend in higher education and in, in different areas of higher education. Uh, I think that was challenging as well, uh, particularly for me being um, an attorney coming into higher education. Some people, some of my colleagues were intimidated by that, even if I, you know, and I'm, and I'm in a regular meeting and I say anything, um, I would have in one institution I worked at, someone would say something that um, maybe wasn't the best practice or uh, something that was a little awry. I'm like, oh, you know, shouldn't say that. We have an attorney in the room. I'm looking around like, who's the attorney? Like, oh, it's me. Like, um, just sometimes that, that presence or the energy or people receive that as me either being uh, very serious or um, trying to, you know, wanting to, you know, or just trying to give people a hard time, particularly because I was working in, in more compliance fields. So really having to do some work in gaining trust um, with a lot of more traditional student affairs practitioners. That was interesting, particularly um, earlier on in my career. And really, this is a whole culture uh, of its own. 
Once I started learning about NASA, ACPA, Nadohi, Encore, there's a whole world out there that I had no idea. And really just having mentors, um, especially a lot of the Black women who mentored me, who were my um, my role models and my supervisors, who really tried to tell me and steer me on who to talk to, um, who to get advice from, um, who to do research with, where to present, what conferences to go, conferences to go to. Um, if you're not in that in that world, or you're not looking at that, like especially going into a grad program or um, a professional school, it's just it's just it's just being completely out of the water, out of a fish out of water. Uh, so having good mentors to help me, and I'm still, um, I've been this is my fifth or sixth year. Oh my gosh, I don't know, I forgot how long I've been working um, in this role. And I'm still learning stuff all the time. I'm still meeting new people. I'm still getting a sense of um, what different career specialties and where, where different folks and how different pieces still come together. Um, and it's really, it's really awesome, really humbling to understand that the work that um, that we do. And particularly now when I meet people who hear that I'm an attorney, a lot of people may assume like, oh, she works at a law firm or she works, um, if I if they, when I do explain I work at um, a, a school, that's something, oh, she's general counsel. I'm like, no, you know, I work in, um, in, in um, ADA, or I'm working in diversity and inclusion. And letting people know that actually there are a ton of, of, of attorneys that work in, in higher education. And um, it's really awesome to share our more non-traditional paths um, in law and that there's, it's a great way to make an impact on a campus, particularly on lots of policies and procedures, um, particularly regarding like civil rights, Title IX, uh, ADA. I've just, I've just really enjoyed um, utilizing the things that I learned in law school and making it applicable um, to students and seeing that happen in, in pretty real time within um, that school year, the school year or two. Uh, it's, been, it's been a really awesome, awesome journey. I, I began, I had no idea uh, my life would go this way. I, I don't have any, any regrets. I've been really enjoying the ride. So just a lot, something you said sparked something. And so you talked about mm -hmm. having really great mentors and we yeah heard some good stories and some not so good stories about mentorship and so can you talk a little bit about how you came to connect with some of your mentors yeah definitely um actually I have had only black women supervisors which I think is just wow <laughs> no I've gotten incredibly lucky I've gotten incredibly lucky. You know, actually, my, my current supervisor is the only one that has not been a black woman attorney, which I think is so weird. Um, actually, in my, in my role, I was working at Eastern Kentucky University. My boss was a black woman attorney. Our boss, the AVP, was a black woman attorney. And our boss's boss, was the VP, was a black woman attorney, which was just an amazing, yes, she's now the president um, at Shipping Run University, but it was just an amazing just natural pipeline of just authentic empowerment yeah. and just it was just it was just very honestly particularly in that role it was very effortless so I was having conversations about in that example of someone feeling uncomfortable with about um about about me being an attorney that uh, I would try not to tell people that I you know that I had a JD and my boss was like girl how much are you planning loans? Like, we're not, we're not oh, doing that. We're not hiding oh, that. Nice. You need to be proud of yourself. People, you know, it's like people, you know, these, there are lots of mediocre people, mediocre white men are parading around with their, you know, with their, their degrees. You know, you're, you're an attorney. Like, you need to act like one. You need to own that, that rule. 
I think for you know, I I and I've always appreciated that energy uh, from her. My boss is all and my my supervisor is all the way up. Um, I think that they gave me not only just great sound legal counsel, um, in order to best protect myself, protect my students, protect the institution, but just really thoughtful ways of how to move um, as a black woman. Um, if that if that means you know like um, you know raising things in a certain way, using the royal we to make people understand you, um, make people understand you, make, make people think that you, make people know that you're involved and you're not on the outside looking in. I think that was one of my challenges, um, particularly being new to institutions. People saw me as an outsider. And you know, I'm an outsider. I've bought a color for clothing. I have big hair. I'm dark. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm very conspicuous. It, you see me coming a mile away. And people see that and they put their shield up and really they really helped me develop you know a lot of my language to make sure that I'm being seen as part of the culture and not a critic outside of it um and even those subtle distinctions and how you phrase things makes a huge difference and I think um if if I didn't have as intentional mentorship a lot of those relationships um I probably wouldn't have been able to build build as quickly or they wouldn't be as strong and also, I think just especially having a black woman um, as mentors, able to sit down really quickly um, and just tell me stuff, you know, like, girl, what was that? Like, just off the clock, you know, after five, and just be honest and frank and frank with each other. And so I just, I, again, like, I got really lucky. Uh, I, I, that's just always been my experience. Like, to me, like, when I think of someone who's my supervisor, uh, like, someone who I look up to, someone who um, is looking out for me, I see a black woman. Um, and I try to like employ that energy with my student workers. So I have now currently with my assistant director um, to be my coordinators. I've had um, to be intentional with leadership with them and make sure that I'm employing my, my, I like to employ servant leadership and making sure that I'm being intentional about building them um, because I, I love being a manager. I love being able to help people um, expand, expand upon um, their sets to challenge them as well. And because I've I've had it done done with me, and I think that it's you know it's imperative that I you know as I'm climbing and I'm growing, I'm able to to give that energy backwards, so energy back. So I've had book clubs in my core with my coordinators, um, with just some like black women leadership books, um, also just 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 a lot of like black thought and like black women like feminist women's thought uh, as it pertains to education. Um, it helps me. And it helps um, my coordinators, and um, it's just it's been it's been awesome. And I've had that done to me by by some of my bosses as well. And we and that's just been it's been an amazing experience to have that type of mentorship. I know everyone doesn't have that. Because um, I'm like, did you pray for this? And did, God, <laughs> did you pray for this that you know that you know that you Yes, it was all the way up. I mean, it, yeah, just, yeah. Even like, I actually when I hired my my coordinator, she was the best candidate, but she happened to be a black woman. Um, our our org chart five black women all the way up. Wow, more of us having black black women attorneys. It was, um, it was it was awesome, and I just I I felt empowered going to work that day. I mean, every day, um, even if I didn't see them, like, I knew that they were, you know, there to support me. Yeah. I've never, mm-hmm. I've never heard of an experience like this. No, <laughs> I have, I have, I have a picture to prove it. I, I finally got, we were all in the same room one time. The four of us, all four of us, black women attorneys, is up and out. It's, it's, it was, 
it was awesome. It was awesome, yeah, awesome yeah, ride. But and it gave me, yeah, it gave me the confidence to, because um, to, I mean, because I could, I could see what the next level was. You know, I could see myself in in that chair, in that office, in the next office, in the next next office. Um, and that was that was really cool. So it's, it's, wow. I don't know. I feel like this, this is, is completely changing my mind. Yeah. Like, this, like, <laughs> we've been we're on, this is episode thirteen, and so for mm-hmm. twelve episodes, we've talked about black women competition. You know, not all of us can have the top spot. Uh, we haven't always been supervised by people who look like us, and what that looks like. Right. We have come into our podcast. <laughs> And just kind of told us, nah, yeah, that ain't. That's not my experience. That ain't my story. Yeah, I mean, I it wasn't my experience, but I will. I mean, I will say, I mean, like that everybody, I mean, was was down with it. Obviously, some people thought, you know, oh, you know, like the black women. There was, I mean, to my box box or whomever, um, like they just they just hire all black women attorneys over there. Like they just know they just hire just just black women over there. It's all just black women. You want like in that that department? You know, we gotta watch yourself. Right. And it's just like, okay, I mean, like, no one says that about, I don't, another, like, you know, in housing, it's all white men, like, that's just, why is that being, you know, what is the problem? And right. so, you know, it made me, you know, it made me, made me, I imagine it made them as well be very, you know, very protective of each other and very, and very conscientious of, of how we were moving because people, uh, obviously not, we weren't, we weren't just ourselves, but we were representatives of each other in a weird way, and particularly myself being, um, being like the assistant director in that role all the way up, knowing that I'm a representative um, of my director, of my AVP, my VP, uh, and that, and that, I guess, was burden, a burden in a certain sense, uh, but it was, it did not go unnoticed um, that we were staffed like that, and people were intimidated. Yeah. So, okay, so, <clears throat> Man, um, so this has changed my whole thought process. Right. <laughs> uh, but when you think about, so how long do you still practice law? No, no, no. I, 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 I am licensed in um, Minnesota where I, where I went to law school, but I don't practice anymore. No, ma'am. Okay. So mm-hmm. when you, so you mentioned before when you sit in spaces and people would say certain things and then say, oh, don't say that because we have an attorney in the room. How does, mm-hmm. how does having those skill sets, that knowledge of being an attorney and hearing things that if you were practicing, you would, you know, say certain stuff. Like, where's the, I don't know, I feel like I would just always be operating as an attorney and not know it, not realize it. <laughs> I think, I feel, and I, that's a good question. And I think that I kind of always am. <laughs> Um, I've just, I've just learned to disguise it more. And, um, honestly, I'm, I, I just, my mindset is I don't want us to be liable for certain things. Um, I want to make sure that we're doing right by people. I want to look at best practices. So when something strange pops up in a meeting, I've learned that for me, that conversation is best probably best not to have at the table with everybody else. Um, but to go back to my research, make sure I'm double, triple checking, talking to my supervisor and having that conversation up kind of up the ladder behind the scenes, because as a, as a younger, as a younger attorney, a younger woman, I, especially one who, um, like I was working as, as a civil rights attorney, I was looking at, um, you know, discrimination with housing, um, 
with with uh, in, in other in other situations. Like I just I was very quick to put off that was wrong, that's illegal, and people don't like when you just tell them this stuff is illegal. People get nervous. Uh, it doesn't create a, 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 a collegiate environment, if, if you will. People start looking at you like, you know, she's, uh, she's out to get me. Um, so definitely reining that in, um, but still making sure that um, I, have, I still have a moral and ethical and, and a legal obligation um, to make it right. Uh, but obviously, we all work in institutions, and um, they have their own culture, their own way of doing things. And I think a lot of that is just particularly being a black woman in those spaces and knowing that I'm uh, an outsider. I look different than a lot of these folks, um, but I'm also, I may be newer to an environment, um, is trying to figure out how to move behind the scenes and to have those conversations right. and to not be so conspicuous. Yeah, because I would be like, that's illegal. You're going to jail. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 is, it is tempting to, to just do that. And I mean, definitely, I'd have, I've had those conversations, particularly with some of my bosses who were attorneys, who'd be like, oh, child, like, I don't get my name on that. Like, I mean, how can I get out of this? Like, Because, I mean, you know, that's, you know, and I've been, you know, at um, situations, you know, where, you know, the Office of Civil Rights has come and, and they've had to investigate a complaint or many or several complaints and, um, you know, just trying to impress upon people that my my role isn't to, you know, be like, you know, the you know the fun the fun kill I mean the killjoy excuse me um but it's to try to make you know making sure that we're all you know being thoughtful particularly at um at institutions that are older they have older traditions that may not necessarily be thoughtful or culturally sensitive or accessible um you know they're not thinking inclusively or with an equity lens and so I think it's better way sometimes to get those questions when I'm in the moment, like to everyone, um, in that moment, like, you know, like, well, you know, who is this serving? You know, like, you know, are we looking at this from an equity lens? You know, who is being called to this programming? You know, who is being excluded from this event? Um, and that's the way you can sort of get people, people's minds jogging about who is privy to this, who isn't, who's being excluded, who's not, without at that moment out and out saying like, like, you know, ringing the alarm, like this is problematic. Um, particularly, I work in Kentucky, and a lot of folks, you know, just don't like the, they're over a lot of that, but um, having those, at least, at least having those conversations at the table, getting folks, um, getting folks, their mind jogging about, um, about, like, an equity-based lens regarding a lot of the traditions and programs and activities on campus, and then going around and having those discussions with my supervisor, and having her talk to the table about, okay, well, what, well, what's happening here, and this may need to we need to revisit this. Well, and that, and that makes sense, kind of even in, in thinking about ways that you can utilize kind of those experiences that you've had as it relates forward. That's awesome. And, and then also the, my next question too, of like, what essentially was the turning point in your career that led um, kind of to what you're doing as it relates to higher education? Yeah, um, for me, I initially, when I, went, when I I graduated from, I went to Vanderbilt in Nashville in 20, I graduated in 2010, and I went to University of St. Thomas um, in Minnesota, I graduated there in 2013, I went there with the intention of becoming um, a sports agent, actually, so my father has been um, a, strip and a strip and conditioning coach for as long as I've been alive, and so he's coached in um, NCAA football, basketball, NFL, NBA, we've moved 
in eight, lived in eight different states, moved 12 different times. My, like my whole life has been consumed by sports and, and uh-huh. athletics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that that would be really interesting. And like, I loved sports. I wanted to um, leverage um, that experience, you know, to, to kind of stay in the family business, if you will. Um, but once I, I did my first internship with, um, with an agent um, that was a family friend, I just realized that it was one, just a lot of sports agents are, unfortunately, a lot of them are babysitters. Um, you're dealing with a lot of people with really, really big egos and big teams, and they need this and they need that, and that's what a lot of it is. It's less, it's contract work, work of course, but a lot of it is keeping your players or or folks out of trouble, and then just there's also just a ton of paranoia um, regarding, you know, like your agent, your your player can sign with whomever, really, um, depending on their contract. And just I didn't find a space for me. Um, I thought it was very kind of a wasn't the most black woman friendly career I've seen and I've seen it particularly in the past couple of years I, um, some black women who are really killing it are really tenacious but I knew for me that wasn't what I wanted from my life ministry uh, but I when I graduated um, I came to University of Kentucky to intern on their athletic compliance department I thought that would be a really good marriage between um, compliance and law what I knew and working um, with NCAA athletes um, in that capacity and so at the time, I felt that um, I know there's a lot of talk going on with the NCAA and, and different lawsuits going on and likeness, and uh, the, the, it's very strict. It's it's a very strict set of rules that everyone has to adhere to from the from uh, from the bottom to the top. And I would have a lot of um, talks and I had a lot of touches with um, some of the student athletes because of my father's position, uh, and just really talking to them about their lives, but strictly them being student athletes and. Um, at University of Kentucky, you know, what, you know, how was class like? What were they being engaged with? What, what were they, what were the expectations post-college? Who was helping them at, at this point? You know, who was making a difference in, in their lives? What were the programs that were helping them grow? What, what, what was challenging them? And I felt that I felt like a little stifled in compliance. I felt it was a little too impersonal um, in that way. And I just really wanted to have more touches um, and more interactions um, with the students. Uh, I felt like I was always um, talking to them about when they were, well, more when they were in trouble, like don't do this, don't do that. But I just wanted to really be uh, more hands-on in some of the development. Um, and so ran, and actually my, I had my LinkedIn set up and my, um, a woman back um, at a community college in Minneapolis said, you know, hey, your name popped up in a search. Um, I, started, I, guess, I guess you Google or like search choice for compliance attorney, we have a position for a conduct officer and a town investigator. Would you be interested? Uh, and at that point, I had no intentions of going back to Minneapolis. It was so cold. It was so awful. <laughs> uh, but, I, and, but I realized that I was looking for athletic, um, I was looking for the athletic um, compliance job. It just wasn't my passion. Right. I said, well, let me give this a shot. Um, I got it and I moved back. And I've basically been working like more in more traditional higher ed compliance um, pretty much ever since. And I, and I really loved it. But um, last year, um, in my last institution, in my last institution, there was a big layoff um, at my institution. I was affected by it, and so I think that was really. I mean, I've never been laid off before, and I took that obviously very personally. Even though it's usually completely not 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 personal, um, I'm someone who's always been a high achiever, um, who had done quote all the right things end quote, and I just find myself with. I mean with just very unceremoniously with nothing to do. 
And I had a chance to look at other fields outside of higher education. Uh, I thought about, you know, do I want to practice traditionally again? Where do I want to go? What do I want to do? But I just, I just felt that, um, that I just so much love the field. I love seeing the progression in my students. Um, I love the, the tangible work that was happening on the college and university level. Um, like I said, my, my father had been working. Um, he's worked professionally, but at that time, he was still working um, uh, with his athletes in the, at the college level. My mom is an educator. Um, she's a counselor getting students ready for college. It's been an integral part of just my family's life, and I just, I just loved it. And so when I saw a position open up um, for the direct position at Center, uh, I applied for it. I was so happy I got I was so happy that I got it. And I just I it's just, it's been an interest it's been an interesting ride. I um I think I, I had chances to chances to pick other career or other path trajectories, particularly after being laid off. You I mean that chances sort of shift from you and you know, I had to really think and meditate and pray about what I wanted to do next, but um I wasn't jaded by the field because of that incident. I thought it was probably more important and more imperative um that students see people like me. And when my current role at Center, uh, Center College just came off of um, a pretty big student they had uh, by the Black students um, last year where my job, where, my, where they requested or demanded the sit-in um, the position, my position, my assistant director's position be created. Um, and especially with my ties to activism and social justice, I thought that it would be like a perfect fit to um, really work alongside those students as um, we're trying to work to change the landscape of the campus. Um, and it's been, it's definitely been a challenge. It's an old college um, in Kentucky with, you know, with, with secret traditions, but the work that I've gotten to do in the past year has been, has been life-changing. And I'm, I'm just happy I'm able to be a face and a voice or just a couch some days uh, for some of those students. So it's been, it's been, a, it's been a ride. So let me, can I ask the question? Um, yeah. What I find interesting as you talk about advocacy, because um, I, I, as the director of a diversity center, one of the things that we are constantly talking about is how to help students advocate for themselves, mm -hmm. how to help mm -hmm. them organize, you know, and and even like as going so far as providing resources, you know, to say mm -hmm. here's how you learn to effectively organize yourselves and so I, I'm just curious as to how those how your students at your university what were some of the th how did they do that how did they get organized and any thoughts around how do you advise students on in, in this way or should should we be advising students in this way that is a made our question it's so that's so tricky and so um so the sit-in happened in May, and so I my position was created because of it, and so I wasn't there, wasn't present when it was happening. But from my understanding, there were um, some Black staff members um, who were there, who were helping negotiate, um, you know, being liaisons, on, not necessarily on behalf of the students, but like those who were speaking, um, basically translating their concerns like at the boardroom table to the board trustees, to other folks in back. Um, I think it's particularly as I've, so my role this past year has sort of been dealing with the fallout of that. I think for, um, at Center, um, the students who led this, the Black students led the Center, they weren't perfect. And one of the things that they'll tell you themselves is that they were not as intersectional as they should have been or could have been um, with their um, student movement. They were worried about being co-opted. Like for example, um, there are students who, 
uh, black students who they didn't know, quote unquote, who they felt they couldn't trust, who they didn't tell about from the meetings. Um, they were um, they were worried about um, some Latinx students or some of their concerns um, that 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 may um, sort of that may like that may weigh down like some of their demands. And so um, they weren't really they weren't as thoughtful as they were looking at black Muslim students, black queer students. Just it was kind of a mess. And so when I got there, and I think it's particularly, I always think about um, my, when I first arrived last year, it was, I was kind of like Olivia Pope with just like a bunch of pictures and just red strings trying to figure out who did what and what happened. It was, it was a mess. But I think really having conversations with them about, with them about like, if we're going to be really intentional about revolution and we're really going to talk about like, you know, trying to assess um, power structure structures that we're not giving way to those same power structures and having conversations with them like you know yes you were at the table and talking about this but you quite literally left you know your Latinx brothers and sisters out out of the movement and that there was space for all of you in that there was space for everyone at that table and and there was a way to do that I think for for them, excuse me. I think for them, I under and I understand me. Um, I you know I had an activist background when I was in Minneapolis. I was a legal chair in the NAACP. Um, I've helped folks get out of jail. I've occupied ha highways myself. Wow. Of course, preaching after Jamar Clark's mur murder, um, after Selena Castile's murder, getting folks out of jail. I, 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 it's just I I get that. I identify with that. I understand how important it is. Um, I'm not one of those people who's going to tell you that. Um, Occupying space doesn't do anything. I think I think civil I think civil disobedience is incredibly important, and extremely strategic. But after my concern was that after it happened, that other people, white communities, had sort of gone on, but the black and brown communities were fractured and weren't talking to each other. And so I want to. And so for me, my job for them was to realize, you know, when we have concerns next time. What can we do to make sure that everyone is heard? Like, how can we be more intentional about who we're reaching out to? Just because someone is a Black person, I don't know, or I think they, quote, act white, or she's more down with the Muslim students, or, you know, she, or, you know, I don't know them, I, don't, I can't trust them, like, being more intentional about who we're reaching out to. Uh, because really, I think that was the large, that was the biggest issue with them. And I and I've never, you know, talked to them and I've never said that it wasn't a great idea it wasn't a good idea. Um I one it got me got me my position. They also um advocated for getting um a multicultural um counselor on uh, counselor on campus, which had not happened before. Um they had a lot of great wins. But I think um I think the focus was on the fact that, you know, it was as intersectional as it could be and people were hurt. And I think dealing with that was is very important, but I also want them to know that, you know, that other activists throughout history were not perfect with their movements as well. Right. And so trying to, it's been a challenge to try to get um, other people uh, to applaud them for the work that they've done. Because I think sometimes the people who are content with a certain tradition or a certain way of life, um, you know, they're going to shun the disruptors or they're going to punish the disruptors. Uh, but for me, it's like, I've always felt that it's hard to, if you're going to, you know, 
apparel, something that I that I am doing in my role as the director, my assistant director, my assistant director is doing when our positions are a direct reflection of the work of the black students um, who have, who led the city. And so that is, I think that is um, an ongoing challenge. I know my assistant director and I right now are working on proposals of basically our first year at center and um, and basically what we've learned from an equity standpoint, um, how we how we were looking at healing on a campus, particularly on a small liberal arts campus uh, where there aren't a lot of students of color, particularly black students, interactions with each other and, and the staff and the faculty administration. Uh, it's been a challenge. I mean, there have been days, you know, that like I've cried with them. I've been hurt with them. Um, but I think the most important thing is to, is to remind them that um, that activism is okay, and that I will never be the type of person um, who's not going to encourage that. Uh, but I want it to be thoughtful. I want it to be intersectional. Um, I want it to be to be. Um, as well time and well as possible, but I'm not going to say don't don't sit don't sit in don't disrupt don't don't do that just because someone doesn't want you to do it. Um, sometimes after you, if you've gone through the proper channels, um, you talk to the right the the right quote unquote right people. Sometimes it's only people will listen to you, and it's particularly in Kentucky. I mean, in Kentucky, they had a sit in this past year with the black students and um. And students who were looking um, for a solution to um, in food disparities on campus, black students went wanted um, more voices at the at the hiring tables for staff and faculty members. Activism is 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 happening across across our campuses. Um, I think it's really important that we support that and not not stifle it, and supporting it by giving the students you know safe spaces to bounce their ideas off of. I think at the time, what was told to me is that they didn't feel they could trust folks in administration um, with their idea, they thought that they would be subverted. Uh, and I, I, I can't speak for my students, but I think a lot of them know that um, I'm someone they can bounce ideas off of. Um, I'm someone who um, who values their voices and and I, I take them I take them very seriously. They are the they are, are the reasons why we have these roles. If their experience this is their four years at this institution, I want to support them. Um, I also think that there it's their time to to address some of the injustices that are going on on our campuses, and being blind to that doesn't do it doesn't doesn't just service to everyone. I just want to say, because it's on my heart, <laughs> that first and foremost, you are one of the dopest mm. higher ed professionals in student affairs right. as an attorney. Right. And second, oh, thank you. Second, I just want to say here on this podcast that you are officially the live pope of higher education. Come on, Liv. Come on, Liv. <laughs> Without all the effort that Olivia did. Yeah, she was doing too much. <laughs> she was so extra. She was but doing a little much. <laughs> I mean, I like to eat a little more than popcorn. Like, I, I'm right? How you've moved this career, mm. the mentorship that you've had. It's like everything just kind of came together for you. Because right when I think about attorneys in higher ed, I automatically think they work as the general counsel or in student conference. Right, right, right. And I, yeah, and I, and I did that. And I, by some of that, a lot of my, like I, I was saying, a lot of those inter, those accounts were pretty were negative. Mm -hmm. And in my time, I want to make sure that one, I was, I was trained in a restorative justice framework. So if there was harm being done to the community. That we were addressing it, even holding my officers accountable, my student, my public safety officers who were harming our students, making sure that they were trained 
and accountability uh, to the community that they were harming the black and brown students who they were who they were unfairly accusing, who they were over policing. Um, just I, I just wanted to make sure that we were taking care of each other, and I think that um, that's been how my my lens of 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 of, of higher education that we really should just be taking care of each other. And I think that being an attorney, I think people, a lot of my students are surprised that they suggest, think that I'm gonna be very stuffy and whatnot, whatever. I'm like, look, I'm listening to Lizzo. I'm listening to, you know, Young Thug, all that. I'm, you know, I'm not, hey. I'm not, I'm not stuffy. Like going to law school shouldn't, shouldn't, it makes me depressed a little sometimes, but. It shouldn't make me stuffy. I'm like I'm I'm a black girl. Like I'm a sister. Like I'm I'm here like to do work. And for me, like I'm, I'm if I'm gonna I'm at a, I'm going to do the best work I can at a place that allows it. But I'm still gonna try to get the work done regardless, even in a space that doesn't. And I think that even my presence to some people is subversive, unfortunately. Wow. But that doesn't matter to me because I'm here. Okay. So <laughs> I mean, you're kind of the bomb.com forward slash oh, no, no no so I, I guess I mean in all of this advocacy and like stepping in and stepping forward for others and making sure that they are supported and have voices um an agency rather um mm -hmm. how, what, are, what are you what are you implementing to make sure that there's still something left for you after all of that like what does that kind of intentional self-care practice look like for someone who is doing the type of agency and work um that you're doing like, what does that look like and and how can we do that as well <laughs> yeah that is that is such a good question and that is um i am not great at that for me self-care is making sure that i do not get my therapy appointments just because i'm tired mm. um and not just because I'm not, and I, I've dealt with generous anxiety since I was 17. Um, it's been up and down. I'm something that I'm absolutely not ashamed about. I feel like I've converted a ton of friends and family members to therapy, and I'm so pleased about that. Um, but even still, you know, the stigma can still persist. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I need to talk things through because I'm often carrying a lot of weight for other people. Yeah. Uh, for me, I hope that's expressing gratitude uh, one of my girlfriends when I was going through um, a rough time last fall was like, you know what, you need to write this down. You need to write this stuff down, these little pockets of joy and keep them. There's a gratitude app I downloaded, it's called Gratitude. Um, and I just basically just have reminders to myself, like, hey girl, write something good that's happening down, or something, something that's enjoyable for you. And I thought it was very stupid at first. It was just like, okay, well, you know, it's a nice day out, whatever. Uh, but I've actually, I've been doing it for 340 days straight now. Um, and it, it's become an amazing habit that like, if I have a great interaction, I'll reach for my phone and write it down. Um, like today I had a great conversation with my students. He just stopped in and told me um, that he really thought of me and whatever, wrote it down. And just having those little pockets of joy in the big moments as well, um, to have that on my phone when I'm feeling very, very low is really, really, really important to me. I think for me, like I'm, I'm an extrovert. Um, and I feel like if I'm not, I'm not my best self if I'm not talking to someone who loves me. Um, and so for me, it's, I'm making sure that I'm talking to like my, one of my line sisters once, like, like once a week on, I have a time on Wednesday night, um, like at like 8 p.m. I was like, call someone on my phone, call someone. It's not my line sister, it's one of my best friends, it's one of my girlfriends, one of my aunties, someone who cares about me. 
and I'm checking in with um, just to make sure they're like, it's a two-way, because, you know, it's with social media, you you, you feel like you, you're, you're having very, like, surface level like, communication with people, but, like, really talking about how someone's doing, how's my girlfriend just had a baby is doing, how's my friend just got married doing, how's my friend who just lost their job doing, you know, and also people check in how I'm doing, Cause, because sometimes I think, like, sometimes I may be carrying pain or trauma that I mean, I know it's, it's persistent if I say it out loud. Um, and just making sure that I'm, I'm having those touches with people. Um, and again, like something that I just try, I'm trying to incorporate more fun and play as Brene Brown says, that's very hard for me. Uh, for me, that's just more like trying to get back into like blogging, doing stuff for my sorority sisters, uh, just hanging out uh, with my partner, just kind of just being without an agenda. I feel like I'm, you know, wasn't raised that way. I, like, I need like a, I need to be be efficient um, at what I'm doing, and just um, even on I went, my boyfriend went on vacation this past um, uh, this past July. Like I had a very hard time just not checking stuff off, just learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been at this year, I've been very good at saying no. So like the opposite of Shonda Rhimes, you're a yes. I'm like, okay, no, I don't want this. I don't like this. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm 31. I'm tired. I'm not going to that. Like, someone asked me. Oh, a colleague that I enjoy um, asked me if I was going to a function. And I said, no, I'm not. I just, I, I, I just, I'm just tired. And I think even last year, I probably wouldn't have said that. I've had a very, I've had a lie about my grandmama was sick or, or something just strange, but just saying, no, I'm not, I'm tired. And that was the truth. And that was the complete, that's a complete sentence. It's something that I'm just trying to honor, like my time and my energy. Yeah. And so I think there's all those are just little pieces I'm just, taking from different, particularly different Black women that I enjoy listening to the re-listen to podcasts, like y'all. Um, I'm a podcaster. I was re-listening to Harry Potter, but I'm a Harry Potter nerd. Um, I've been more intentional um, about making sure that I'm I'm okay, but also making sure that I'm checking in with people. That's just, I'm someone who's just a connect, someone who connects by nature, um, and who's, who's also someone who is, um, has a very great web of, of folks who care about me and who I want to make sure I'm pouring back into so those they help me stay stay relatively even killed in a in a, a very hectic you know higher ed student affairs world but um, I'm doing the best I can like everybody else yeah. but therapy is a big one for sure it's therapy wow mm-hmm. so that kind of closes the questions um, that we have however there's a question that we ask all of our guests um, just as it relates to the podcast and kind of okay. what does it mean? And so I guess the first question is thinking about the podcast, the space, um, what does, what does this moment, what does it mean for you and to you to have this space? I, man, I was so excited. Um, gosh, I, I knew I wanted to if not be a guest to nominate someone. I just thought it was such a cool idea. Mm-hmm. I think that so many times, particularly in higher education, those spaces, we kind of have to steal, steal away for ourselves. Like, my boss and I having a moment, in like, you know, in the corner of, like, a room, like, having a little quick kiki, um, or after after hours, after 5 o'clock, my boss and I are staying late and talking about whatever. I, I love the fact that this is centering, like, Black women and talking about our unique experiences and the intersection in that, um, and that we're, we're both, we're, we're all these, and we carry multitudes in us. And that I think for so many of us, people still see us as, um, 
being representative of of a whole, but there's so many um, different types of Black women. As you just you said, you've talked to, and you've had so many so many um, guests, and no one has had experience like mine, like with my job. There just there are so many ways to move in in this particular environment, and I just think this this space to talk about our unique experiences is is just so dope. Um, I you know I I think it's really cool that y'all are doing this work. I think it's cool that you're letting Black women um, have a space to feel unabashed um, about who they are. Um, I love talking about being Black. I love talking about being Black. <laughs> uh, and I find that obviously being in higher education, a lot of people don't want to hear that. It makes them nervous or it makes them feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes them feel comfortable. I use, you know, different aspects of vernacular, X, Y, and Z, but like, I love any opportunity to talk to or work with people who look like me or or see familiarity with me in, in me or home in me. Um, it's just exciting. I think that what y'all are doing is is so so dope. And I just uh, I was very I don't know any of you obviously, but I'm just very proud of the work you're doing. Um, it just seems to look very very official. It looks very late. Um, and I just, you know, am very impressed. And I think that more, I, I know it will take off and continue to be great. So I'm just happy um, to, to, to just be virtually here and talking to y'all. And just thank you. Thank you for this, this moment you've created and being thoughtful about, you know, like, we need something for, for us. We need to be seen. And we need to be the ones who are, who are making it. That's, that's just really cool. Thank you. You're the boss. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Oh, my gosh. I just love you. I just want to meet oh, you. Oh, no. Um, well, and that also leads to, you know, the next question, too. Um, in thinking about all of the ways that you support and you're advocating for folks, what is there mm-hmm. that you're listening to that's kind of, can, you know, keeping you moving? Are there songs? Are, you know, is there a person? Is there an artist that you're listening to? What's, what's on your playlist? Because we do have a Spotify that is public oh, um, and we um, oh, incorporate nice. all of the music musical selections that our guests recommend. Okay, that's really fly. I love that. I'm going to that. Okay, good. So actually, that's really perfect because I just, my mom and I just hosted a Black Girl Magic Party this past Saturday and we had 30 Black women over at her house and we had crowds, we had an affirmation wall, um, we had gifts, we had raffles, we had natural hair. It was incredible. It was so much fun. The, the place was like basically all like black women. It was awesome. Um, right now, I enjoy, who doesn't enjoy Lizzo? She's just yeah. a thoughtful realness. She's in Minneapolis, so I see her. I feel her. I love juice. That gives me so much life. Um, when I'm feeling frustrated um, like I love Winnie Houston's It's Not Right, but it's okay. Yeah. Um, and not not even my part my partner is fine. Like he's he's fine. But just in general, when someone has me messed up and I'm over him, you know what? That's all right. I'm I'm still good. I'm still cute. I'm still paid. That's, That's fine. Yes. Um I love Normani's motivation. Um, I love just seeing just like a beautiful brown skinned woman across the screen. It was a beautiful video. Mm-hmm. She's so talented. Um I'm blackness optimistic, old school, you know, throwing it back a little bit. My just, I, I automatically feel like it's like 1995, right. and it's a sunny, it's a sunny day. I'm like, okay, 
gonna be all right. Let's get to the weekend. Let's get to the vacation, whatever. I and just you know, I had you know, just to push on a little bit. Um, I love Chance the Rapper song "Blessings." I think to me, it's um, it's very spiritual, but still very modern and millennial and very rap. And it's randomly like I like I like mid condition so fine. I, I've been yes! like, it's so random. No, that's and it, not it, random. Just make, it makes that's me excellent. feel sexy, and I just. I just, I feel like, you know, like, I don't know, for me as a black woman, I, I often felt, didn't like it so sexy. I felt like I was over, over um, objectified, especially even as a younger girl. And so I pushed that down so often. I feel like now I'm finally getting in touch with my sexiness and sex appeal and what that means as a woman. And I feel like that song makes me just like walk slow and it gives me like energy and just like, you know, a lip pout and all that. And, I can look in the mirror and just like you know, just dance and I su- I suggest you try. It's a good it's a good song with like some really like you know good energy. So that's what I'm listening to right now. That's on repeat. Um, yeah, I'm usually listening to podcasts or books or something. But um, but yeah, that's what I'm listening to. Well, interesting that you mentioned books as well because we also have a list of all of the books. Oh, cool guests have also recommended and it's also on goodreads um so what oh, that, oh that's awesome cool <laughs> like what books are you I'm sorry, y'all have done this y'all have done the work <laughs> i am reading that is why oh thanks thanks like what books are you reading or i, I love audiobooks or like listening to yes um well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my community, I'm always on Audible. If they know me, they know me at Audible. Um, I feel at this point, um, I have Gabrielle's We're Going to Need More Wine on, it's just, I haven't memorized. I, she's amazing. I love her. She was so authentic and genuine. It was an amazing book. Um, Brene Brown's Rising Strong. Ooh, I think um, it's a good book. I've always said, if I won the lottery after like paying off you know, all my bills to get my mama taken care of, I have heard, like, my third thing has heard being my, you know, my like life coach and not. I think that book is important uh, because it talks about after you've fallen and yeah. after you've tried and failed, like what does that look like getting back up? And uh, she, just, she just gets me through it. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's latest book, Talking to Strangers, is really, really, really good. And he opens it up talking about um um the ex police extrajudicial judicial killing of Sandra Bland. So that's he frames the book from that landscape of how what was not said, what should have been said, what could have been said between these two people, between Sandra and the officer who killed her. And that's sort of the lens that um that he looks at all these other interactions like in history and life, which is it's such a good read. He he's just amazing. Um, I'm like a politics nerd. Um, Dog Whistle Politics is something I listen to as well. I will read it's a book we could also listen to an audible um, by Ian Haney Lopez. I think particularly as we're getting ready for the election cycle again, um, that people are being really attentive and listening to these um, whistleblowing, this, these problematic racist rhetoric. It's happening in, in, in politics, American politics in particular, for decades now, for centuries, honestly. And, um, Making sure that we're listening in between and how that affects vote, how affects voting patterns in America is really important. That we're holding um, us officials accountable for what they're saying and calling them out on it. It's just, it's an eye-opening read to just how 
particularly in the Reagan administration, um, even in the Clinton administration, just how certain things, particularly we're looking at, you know, the Black community, um, how certain things go unsaid, but still are said in a, in a politically savvy way to get the point across, which is kind of trifling, but it is what it is. Um, and then The Color of Law, um, which is by Richard Rothstein, which looks at basically like um, uh, housing, um, housing segregation in America and how that's really just colored so much of the disparity we see in property values and equity in the Black community and other communities. Um, he came to um, Kentucky a, while, a couple of years ago and I heard him talk. He does a very, very good job in, in making it plain just how um, racist our society was, particularly in the 1560s, uh, regarding housing to, to Black folks and how we still are just in more subtle ways. And as someone who worked as an, as an attorney who was looking at housing discrimination and, and those policies, like I was working on those policies and actively looking at housing discrimination cases as of last year. And it's still happening. I think um, more people, if they knew what to look out for, uh, would have a better chance um, in, in addressing that and fighting for other people people and getting legal assistance, legal systems and just being aware of that you know just because you know, like that a lot of uh, the system is still it's still de- I mean y'all know this but like particularly even the housing system it still isn't designed for us and we need to be more intentional about you know where we buy how we buy who we buy from um, and what we're doing and, and, where, and where we're going and how we're moving um I've also got some other kind of like trash romance books that I read as well. But, okay, I um, need to know the name of those books. It's <laughs> just silly books. Um, one of them is it's called The Royal We. I like I kind of like any book that kind of talks about or alludes like an American girl going to Britain and marrying a prince. Another one is called um, My Oxford Year. Um, is a woman who won like the Rhodes Scholarship and meets this um. This um British um I guess he's not really royalty but he has some he has some coin I guess and they fall in love and just I and those are are I won't say silly reads but I guess when you were talking about self care they kind of take me away um it's 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 an easier read it rejuvenates me it gets me just like oh this is a fun story and that's important too because having information is a little heavy so yeah absolutely just a little. Oh, the last book that you said, can you repeat the title of it? Uh, my Oxford Year. Oh, not I'm sorry, not the last romance novel, but the last like book that you my were house. serious about housing. Yes, yes, yes. I'm um, sorry. It's um The Color of Law, and that's by, by Richard Roth. And that kind of just leads us to that last question. If you could name a Black woman or um, someone that you just kind of want to honor as it relates to you know, people in your life, um, and kind of like, why do you want to celebrate them as well? Yeah, um, I remember, I, I remember seeing this question initially. Um, I would like to honor Monica Johnson, soon to be Dr. Monica Johnson, who's the director of the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center at, um, the, at the, at Indiana, um, University Bloomington. She is, I mean, an incredible force. When I was at Vanderbilt in undergrad, she was, I believe she was, she didn't remember, I thought that she was in grad school working at the Black Cultural Center. Like her presence to me has always, she's always been an educator. Uh, even when I was getting in this field, she helped me negotiate my salary. She helped mm. me with interviews. She's helped me um, and talked to me just when I was um, laid off last summer. She's just been 
incredible and she's just done it without limitation anyone who knows her knows that she's just is brilliant beyond capacity but as someone who's willing to show up for you like i um i recently became a member of alpha alpha sorority incorporated and she's at my soror so we have another connection as well um she she is just someone who gives relentlessly um but it also still reminds me of when to put down the phone and when she needs to put down the phone as well. And so she models really good self-care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just can't imagine. On a, she's, I, was, I never had the pleasure of being under her as a, as um, her support, but I know that people who have, and they just say that she's just an incredible force. And I just can't wait to see what she does. She's officially Dr. Johnson um, and slaying the world. But I know the program that she's done um, with the Black Culture Center at, at, at um, IU has just been top-notch, some of the best work, you know, in the country. Um, and she's just an amazing, amazing um, colleague. And just some, just, she's just, a, she's just a, a girl's girl. She's, a, she's just, um, just the epitome of just, just a, a thoughtful Black woman. She's funny. She's, thought, she's, she's always looking out for someone. Um, I, I can't think of like anybody like in this career in this field um, who has meant more to me, who I who I want to impress more uh, than Monica Johnson. She's just just the best. We just want to thank you yes. for just your just amazingness. Uh, but then also in the ways that you stand in in the ways that you stand in the gap um, as it relates to justice and equity for all students and for everyone um as it relates and then you know what thank you thank you so much i just i think you know as black women like imposter syndrome is real there are days i'm like oh my god what am i doing am i making a difference what is happening at the time you need people to to reflect you know who you who you really are and who you really are. So that, that means it's very, that's a very timely message. I, I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you. You are walking in your purpose. Um, and flipping the narrative about black women being in charge and yes. we can all be at the table together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Possible. Like the fact that you had such an amazing experience where black women leading more black women and like helping to advocate for other black women and not in this. Yeah. Not in this competitive way. Is just no, and so we appreciate even hearing that. Yes, I love that it can happen. Like I, I wouldn't be who I am without, like you know, without that. That it was literally like a chain of women, um, and everybody felt that there was there was space for each other. And I, I plan to always operate like that, like in my personal life and my professional life. Love it. I love it because mm-hmm. honestly, what that's done is that changes the narrative for the for the folks coming after you. Thank you for tuning in to episode 13, where we discuss non-traditional pathways in higher education with our guest, Ashley Oliver Esquire. Be sure to check out the first 12 episodes of season one, and also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Black Women Voices. Until next time.